الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته We're about to enter into the first 10 days of the Hijjah which are the 10 days before Eid Al-Adha insha'Allah and a lot of the Muslims focus on the ritualistic side of the, the 10 days of the Hijjah in fact, we focus on the ritualistic side of nearly every act of worship that we do. And that is amazing, but it's only one part. The part which we need to focus on more, or on top of that, is the benefits and the fruits of why we practice these ritualistic practices. Why do we pray? Why do we fast? Why do we go to Hajj? Why do we pay zakat? Why do we have our Eid? And why are they these special days that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has assigned for us and chosen for us? What's the purpose of them? So obviously we all know that in the first 10 days of the Hijjah, they are the best days to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the entire year. The 10 nights of, the, of Ramadan are the best nights. The 10 days of the Hijjah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala swears by them. And among the rituals that we do is it's good to fast, it's good to give more sadaqah, it's good to pray more, it's good to recite more Qur'an and make more dua and istighfar. It's good to make the udhiyah as well, the qurbani at the end of it. And it's good to also practice the sunnah of not cutting your nails and hair if you are the person who is going to do the qurbani, the udhiyah. However, these are all the ritualistic sides, all Muslims know. What I want to talk to you about today, brothers and sisters, what I want to talk to you about today is what is the fruit of all that? And the way I'm going to address it is to talk about the verses of the Qur'an in Surah Al-Hujurat. Surah Al-Hujurat, for about one whole page, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about our Muslim practices that we're supposed to be doing in our day-to-day -day life. They are the reasons why we pray and fast and so on. And that is to perfect our character and to improve our values that we practice especially among one another. And before I begin, I remind you of the last sermon of the Prophet ﷺ. You all heard of the last sermon. At the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him, when he went to Hajj, he only went to Hajj once, he was able to. And in that last sermon, he stood to give the khutbah in Arafah, a place called Arafah. For those of you who've been to Hajj, you know what I'm talking about. And he said in the last sermon, Hijjat al-Wada' he said, that the blood honor, the blood, the honor, and the dignity, the blood, the honor, and the dignity, and the wealth, the property, of every Muslim upon another Muslim is as sacred as this month that we are in. He was in Dhul Hijjah. As this land sacredness, which is Mecca, as this day, which was the day of Arafah. Meaning that the Muslim, his rights and their rights are far more important than the Kaaba itself, than the sacred month itself. Not only that, the rights of every person, even the non-Muslims, is a huge and serious duty that if we were to break it and oppress anyone, Muslim or non-Muslim, then this is called zulm. 
ظلم, which means oppression. Even if we wrong an animal, a bird, an ant, it's called ظلم. The hadith is in Bukhari, where the Prophet said, a bird, a bird will go to Allah on the day of judgment because Allah will raise all the humans, all the jinns, even the animals. And the bird will say, my Lord, my Lord, your slave so-and-so killed me with no purpose that he needed with me. A bird will complain. Can you imagine that? A woman entered hellfire because she trapped a cat and did not feed it nor let it out to eat from what God had given it. The hadith is in Bukhari. Another woman entered paradise as she repented from a major sin all her life and the only good deed she could come across was feeding a dog that was thirsty. What about then the human life? The non-Muslim life and the Muslim life. So let us dive into these verses of the Qur'an to which I encourage my brothers and sisters to focus on them in the first 10 days of the Hijjah and hopefully you can develop a better habit and come out of them with a new refined you. Just a little bit because we're always improving on ourselves, nobody is perfect. Allah says in Surah Al-Hujurat which is Surah number 49 <clears throat> and we'll begin with the following verse اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يا ايها الذين امنوا ان جاءكم فاسق بنبا فتبينوا فتبينوا أن تصيبوا قوما بجهالة فتصبحوا فتصبحوا على ما فعلتم نادمين. So this is the first verse to investigate quickly. Allah subhanahu wa taala addresses the believers. O oh, you who believe. Meaning that since it's the Qur'an that's being recited to you, who is the one that is most likely to pay most serious attention to Allah's words? The believers, because you believe in Allah's words. Therefore, Allah is addressing you and it is a kind of value. He's valuing you. When Allah addresses you, He says, Ya ayyuha, O people of belief. This is an honor and a respect that Allah gives to the believers because you listen to Allah's words. So Allah addresses us in an honorable way and then says, you are the ones who will listen mostly to this. So listen carefully because I want you to be, in other words, Allah is saying that you are the role models. If you don't do it, who is? That's what Allah is saying. Since you are believers, I want you to be among the better ones. He says, if there comes to you, if there comes to you a person whom you, a person of um, corruption, a person of corruption, or th there isn't a, a perfect word for it in English, a person of, um, a person who is not known to be of justice and fairness, or a person who has come to you whose words 
are not clear. They are ambiguous or they are doubtful. So this is the type of person that comes to you with such news. When, they, when he or she comes to you with a news about someone or anything, then verify it and clarify it. So that you don't accuse someone falsely and then later on become regretful over the accusation that you made based on not verifying and clarifying. A few points I want to make about this verse. First of all, who is a corrupt person? Some people say that, well, God is saying only a person who is corrupt. The ayah, the verse, actually starts with Ja'akum Fasikun. For those of you who know Arabic linguistics, you will know, Nahu, that Ja'akum, there came to you, talks about the action before the person. So it says, if there came to you a person of corruption. Allah didn't say, if a person of corruption came to you. So this is an Arabic nahu, linguistics, that you need to understand. And that is, the grammar, is that it's based on, it's focused on the action. What is the action? The action is if somebody comes to you with a news, and that news is ambiguous, it's serious, or it's, it's, it, it can cause harm, or if the person who came to you is doubtful, or if the person who came to you, you can see that they are telling you the news out of emotions, or out of anger, or they're being hasty. You can tell when a person comes to you and says, you know that person, I heard this and I heard that. You can tell by that tone, by the way that they're approaching. Okay, you've got to tell them, calm down and think properly. You can't quickly take the news and say it's true. Or a person who is known to lie, don't take the news until you verify. Or a person who has an enmity with someone. I remember one time a person knocked on my door and he had a, a disagreement with another person. I knew both of them. I knew both of them well. Actually, not just once. It's happened a lot. But I just remember this incident. Knocked on my door. He was angry. He was boasting. His face was red and he was breathing heavily. You know, so-and-so, he said to me, I need you to judge between you and him. He did this and he did that to me. Am I in the right or in the wrong? I said, take it easy, calm down. Have you finished? He says, yes. He said, I can't judge until I hear the other side. I have to. So I'm telling the truth. All right, all right, you hear it and you watch. I said, I'll watch. The other person came to me, same, angry. But he did this exact opposite. Now, in this situation, brothers and sisters, I cannot take the information from either of them. Because both of them are bringing me news about the other person with rage, with not thinking, there's no rationale or grounds to what they're saying. So now I need witnesses. I need to investigate. I need to verify. I need to ask questions. I need evidence or to reconcile between them. Do you understand? So first of all, you've got to look at a few things, brothers and sisters. If a news comes to you about someone, the first thing you've got to do is this. Are you the right person to be judging and helping them and verifying? Are you? Or are you a person who is better for you to stay aside and refer them to someone else? This is the first thing I want to tell my brothers and sisters. Not everything, not everybody has to go and clarify and verify. Every little thing you have to verify? No. I say to you, if you're going to be that type of a person who has to verify every little detail, you've got an obsessiveness, man. You've got some OCD. That's a problem. That's a problem. 
That's the type of person who could have insecurities and will not trust anyone because he himself doesn't trust himself. Got to verify everything. So look at yourself and think, am I a person to verify? Am I the person to judge? Do you have enough knowledge? Do you have enough wisdom or experience? So you've got to also think, are you the right person? That's the first thing. The second thing, is it a matter that you do need to verify? Like, is it so serious that you need to go and investigate and ask? Because if you investigate and ask, you may make this matter even more serious. Is it a minor matter or a serious matter? So these two things you've got to be very careful about. And then when you verify and clarify, it's in order to reconcile, to make things better. Or to bring the rights of people back, inshallah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, don't just accept news that comes to you that is serious from a person who is either corrupt, is known to lie or is known to be a criminal, or a person who, is, who's, who comes to you that has an enmity, a, a personal motive, or a person who comes with you angry and ambiguous and not putting their sentences together, they're not adding up, you've got to clarify. You've got to verify if you are in a position of responsibility or you're in a position where you can help, and if the matter can be resolved by you um, getting involved, you have to verify and clarify. And Because you might accuse someone out of ignorance. What is ignorance here? Ignorance means that you don't know the information fully. Out of ignorance means that you, have, you could have misinterpreted what you heard from the person. Because people, when they come to you, come, when you say something to someone, you see it from your own perspective. Am I right or wrong? Sometimes when another person sees it, they may see a different perspective to the situation. So are you misinterpreting it? So brothers and sisters, I know this, this topic is very important, very dangerous. Uh, it, it's, it's, if a person doesn't, um, is not careful with it, because this is what you, disunites people, this is what causes tension between people, probably even killing, murders. It can cause divorces, it can cause uh, children to run away, uh, it can cause uh, people to abuse others, it can cause all sorts of dangers when we don't verify information. And especially in our time on social media, everyone is so quick to write and judge things, man. Why? Just because they can. You don't know what kind of damage it does. Wallahi, I, it, it, it troubles me a lot when I see a lot of uh, people that just quickly and immediately go to the comment section to write something. Just be careful what you're going to write. And the shaitan gets to them and they get too proud to delete it after that. No. So you're causing harm, you're causing damage. And Allah says in the Quran, ما يلفظ من قول إلا لديه رقيب عتيد. Not a single word does he utter, in other words, or write, or signal, except that there are two angels. One is ever so watching, one is ever so witnessing, writing everything that you're doing. So be careful, brothers and sisters, don't lose your hereafter for a few uh, words of driven by ego and motives. My brothers and sisters, let's move on to the next verse. Now I'm going to skip the next couple of verses because they involve wars and fighting between Muslims. But I'm going to focus on one thing in it. It's called reconciling. It is in the next verse. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah says, as a matter of fact, the believers are brothers and sisters. So reconcile. Set things right between your brothers and sisters 
and have fear of Allah that you may be shown mercy. Uh, have fear of Allah so that you may be shown mercy. In other words, have mercy on your brothers and sisters in the way that you accuse them, in the way that you assume about them, in the way that you treat them, in the way that you look at them, in the way that you speak with them, in the way that you deal with them, in the way that you promise them. If you do that, that's a form of mercy and goodness from you. Because you fear Allah, what do you get in return? You get Allah's mercy. If you want to know how do I get Allah's mercy, one of the ways is, as Rasulullah said, Irhamu turhamu. Give mercy, you will be given mercy. That is how Allah gives you mercy. Do we not recite Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim in every rak'ah in salah, every day? Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. If you didn't get it the first time, Allah makes sure that you got it the second time. That Allah is Arhamur Rahimin. So if Allah is Rahim, you should give Rahmah, you should give mercy to people. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls us brothers and sisters. You know why He calls us brothers and sisters? Tell you why. If you think about your blood, your biological brothers and sisters at home, let's give you an example. If they are harmed in any way, don't you feel harmed yourself because they are your brothers or sisters? Yeah. If your brothers and sisters fall into a crime, and let's say it's their fault, doesn't it still hurt you as their brother and sister? Hurts you if they got into prison? If your brother and sister is in pain or in hospital, does it not hurt you? Your true, your blood brother and sister. And another thing, if you heard someone talk about your brother and sister, isn't it as if they talked about you? And if someone praised your brother and sister, isn't it as if they praised you? I always use this statement that I think it was my uncle or my cousin told me. He says, listen, backbiting your cousin is like spitting upwards. You put your head up and you spit. Where does the saliva go if you spit upwards? It comes back in your face. So family to one another are invested Whatever happens to them is going to happen to you or is going to hurt you. So Allah wanted to use that and says to us, all of you Muslims, all of you believers are brothers and sisters. What hurts your brother and sister in Islam hurts you. Backbiting them is like they backbite you. You defend them, you stand up for them. And if they do wrong, what do you do? What does a brother and sister do if they saw their brother and sister doing wrong things? What do you do? What do you do? What does a Muslim do? What does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala order us to do? What does the Prophet sallallahu order us to do? Right. Whoever of you sees a wrongdoing should change it. Correct, ya akhi. And there is another hadith which is even more specific, which says, Assist and support your brother or sister, whether they are the ones in the wrong or whether they are the ones in the right. They said, Ya Rasulullah, how do we support them when they are in the wrong? What do you mean in the wrong? Do we go and help them bash that guy while they're in the wrong? Rasul said, no. By stopping him or her from continuing in their wrong. That is what a brother and sister does. You stop them from continuing in their cheating, continuing in their lying, continuing in their betrayals, continuing in their harm of others. Wrongfully, yani. You stop them. This is how you help your brother and sister. You save them from the fire, you save them from harm. 
So my brothers and sisters, this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says. Then Allah says, so set things right between your brothers. What does that mean? Aslihu. Aslihu means to fix. It's the opposite of Salah is the opposite of Fasad. Fasad means to break and corrupt. Islah, fix. Fasad, break and corrupt. And these are the two vices in the Quran. Allah says Allah loves the Muslihun, those who fix. And He dislikes the Mufsidun, those who break and corrupt. So if you are brothers and sisters and you have a problem with your brother and sister or you have a problem with another Muslim, what do you do? You've got to try your best to mend the situation between you two as much as you can. And there are priorities as well. If you are related by blood, that is the biggest priority. Father, mother, siblings, cousin, uncle, aunt, nieces, nephews, these take priority. Because you share the womb of the mother and then the neighbor and the rest of the Muslims. And if a person is good to you, even if he's a non-Muslim and good to you, you should also mend the situation between you and them if there is wrong being done. So, aslihu bayna akhawaykum. So, you yourself try to mend the situation as much as you can. Some people say, well, what if I can't? Well, if you can't, you tried your best. Allah does not look at the outcome. Allah looks at the effort and the, and the sincerity and the intention. Allah does not look at the outcome. Allah looks at the effort, the intention and the sincerity. What if they're going to harm me and I'm going to fix and they're just abusing me? We say, well, reconcile at least the minimum. See how far you can get where you stay safe. The point is, it's not make or break. All or nothing. I'm sure not everybody is that evil. There are some people who can get a bit closer, a bit further. Sometimes we teach um, young teenagers, how do you make friends? We say, draw a circle. Small circle and a bigger circle outside, another circle outside, and a fourth and a fifth. So the biggest circle on the outside is the furthest away. See where you're going to put each person in that circle. Each one belongs in a circle. And decide how close you will interact. Who will you tell the secrets to? Who will you not? Which ones do you get close to? How far would you get close to them? All right, the ones in the inner circle are the closest. You've got to be very careful with them. They are the ones who you've studied and they have invested in you. The closest ones usually will be family members. It may be your mum and dad, for example. And for some people, it's not even their mum and dad. Allah al-musta'an, may Allah help us. But in general, so you've got to see where everyone fits. But at least, at least, at least, if a person says, Salamu alaykum, you're not talking to them, you have to say, Wa alaykum as-salam. And then walk away. They're not a problem. If they sneeze and say, Alhamdulillah, and you're not talking to them, you have to say, Alhamdulillah. If they die and you... And, and they, they, they die and you can go to their funeral, go to their funeral. If they got sick and ended up in hospital and you're able to send them a quick message, um, get well soon, or send a message with someone else. A Muslim is not that stingy and evil, brothers and sisters. We have a soft heart. But unfortunately, the shaitan loves to create enmity and shahna and egos and just puts a block to us all the time. And the person who really suffers the most is you and I. We are the ones who... Stri- the person's probably not even thinking about you. You're not even sleeping all night. Now, I'm not saying you have to forgive everybody. Forgiveness is a right that is yours. If somebody has wronged you and you want to forgive them and they, drew, they have wronged you, it's up to you if you want to forgive them or not. But you've got three situations. 
either you forgive them and say, Allah will compensate me. Or you say, I don't want to forgive them. I will take my right on a day of judgment. Or I don't want to forgive them and I want my right here now. And I will not stop until I get it. You have a right in all three circumstances. And there is a fourth circumstance which is, it is either disliked or haram to forgive someone. Forbidden. In what situations? It's when there is a person who's taken a right or takes the rights of others or taken your right and this person has a habit of using people's niceness and goodness or your religiosity and says, oh, they're religious people, I'll just keep, I'll keep conning them. They have a, they're con artists. If they're used to that and they're used to people forgiving them, then it's haram for you to forgive them. You must get your right and teach them a lesson, even no matter what stakes. So Islam is not about turning your left cheek to everybody. La, Islam is also about standing your ground and not getting conned from the same hole twice. A Muslim is also smart and intelligent. A Muslim can be streetwise as well. But you're fair and just. A commander from the Romans uh, <clears throat> was captured by the Muslims at the time of Umar radiallahu anhu. And uh, he had done some crimes and killed and murdered, so they put him to kill him. He was going to be executed. And then he said, can I get a jug of water? They said, yes, you can get a jug of water. He says, am I safe and you won't kill me until I get a jug of water? Umar al-Khattab said, yes, get him a jug of water. He said, but I need a big jug with the thick brass and everything. That's how we're used to because I'm a commander. I'm from the Persians, I'm from the Romans. I'm, we, we drink like that. Anyway, he got him this, this brass and then he acted like he dropped the water on the floor. And he said, oh, you can't kill me. Uh, you, you promised me safety until I drink the water. And hence, I have not drank the water yet. So the, the, the Roman king was trying to trick Umar al-Khattab, conning him into this tricks, trickery. Umar al-Khattab said, I am not a con artist, but I will not let a con artist con me. Execute him. It's like, uh, you're not going to fool me like this. So I'm not saying. But then what the Roman commander said, he goes, an la ilaha He said the shahada, and he converted to Islam, at least in open. And Umar al-Khattab said, the Prophet ﷺ commanded us not to judge the people's hearts. We can only judge by what is apparent. So I have to go with that. You're a Muslim now, judging by them. And they let him go. So he repented and he let him go. But he never kept his eye off him. And even when Umar al-Khattab was murdered, by the, assassinated by the, uh, uh, the uh, al-Majusi, the fire worshiper, the Majin, they even suspected that the Roman commander, because of the way he was acting, he wasn't genuine in his actions, that he could have also helped him to assassinate him. But nobody acted upon it until after the death of Umar. It's a long story. But the point is, brothers and sisters, we are not people who just sit there and let people con us. You've got to use your brain too. What was your question, Akhi? Forgot? Okay, khair. we'll get back to it. So we'll move on to the next one, insha'Allah ta'ala. The Prophet ﷺ said, A Muslim is a brother to the other Muslim. He does not treat him unjustly. He does not leave him alone. And he does not dishonor him. Enough evil it is to devalue your brother. The hadith is in Musnad Ahmad. Devaluing your brother means to look down upon them. No matter how they dress, what their status of wealth is, no matter where they come from, their color, their race, their gender, 
Muslims don't look down upon others based on these things. Even in the form of religion, we cannot use religion to claim that we are superior to others. Some people do that. They use their religiosity to make it look like they're superior to others. Like as if God loves them more. They're more religious. Their beard is longer. Their hijab is nicer. Their salat is better. Their fasting is more righteous. They go to the masjid more often. They give sadaqah more. So they think they're more privileged. This is haram to, fear, to, to, to assume that. For the Prophet ﷺ did tell us, and the hadith is also in uh, Bukhari, that he said, a man said to another man, Allah will never forgive you. A man, Muslim man said to another Muslim man, from the children of Israel he talked about, he says, he said to the other one, God will never forgive you. Meaning you don't deserve to be forgiven by God. And Muhammad ﷺ says, telling us of the future, in the Day of Judgment, he says, so Allah telling us about the future now. So after they died, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I'll use the word will, or he raised them and said, Man Who is this person who is making a judgment in my name? He even said, Wallahi, he made an oath, and making an oath by my name that I will not forgive him. He said, take, I have forgiven him, take him to paradise. And this man, take him to the fire, because he made himself a god. The hadith is authentic. So we cannot, even in religiosity, Allah says in the Quran, in Surah Al-Qamar, فَلَا أَنفُسَكُمْ فَلَا Never praise yourselves in piety. It is he who knows who truly is most pious. The next verse Allah says, <clears throat> يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا لَا يَسْخَرُ قَوْمٌ مِّن قَوْمٍ عَسَىٰ أَن يَكُونُوا خَيْرًا مِّنْهُمْ وَلَا نِسَاءٌ مِّن نِسَاءٍ عَسَىٰ أَن يَكُنَّ خَيْرًا مِّنْهُنْ Allah says, <coughs> O believers, and, not, and let not a group of you men scoff and insult another group of men. It may well be that the latter group of men at whom they scoff and insult are better than them. And nor let a group of women scoff and insult another group of women. It may well be that the latter, the other group of women that you are insulting, are better than they are. If you realize the first thing, Allah talks about groups. And the second thing you realize, Allah talks to men separately to women. And the third thing you realize is that maybe the ones you're insulting are better than you. There's three, three things that we look at here. And then we see scoffing and insulting. 
obviously we all know what scoff and insult is to say words and things to other people to make them as if they are lower than you and you are better than them or to make fun of their looks or their intelligence or their actions or whatever it is obviously these are motives personal motives that people do the first thing is they see they are groups Allah didn't say individuals if one person scoffs at another if it was individuals Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would have mentioned just individuals without gender and he mentioned groups because the norm is people tend to taunt and make fun of and insult another group, bully them when they are in groups. Often people, they look for support in order to insult another group of people. And usually people group themselves with their likes who support their idea and their insults. Isn't that true? Go on social media, in school, at work, in the family, anywhere you go, among friends. Those who like insulting and have insecurities in themselves, those who like to put others down, because usually it's because something's wrong with them, they're not happy with themselves, they don't fear Allah enough, they've got to find supporters, they've got to find groups. So usually people get into a pact in order to insult another group. It happens, as I told you, in different places. Bullying tactics, getting together and grouping. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, don't get into groups of insulting others. And maybe the group that you are insulting is actually better than you in the eyes of Allah. The second thing we notice is Allah subhanahu wa grouped men and grouped women by themselves. Do you know why? It's because in a Muslim society, in a, in a typical Muslim society, the norm is that non-mahram men and women. So remember I talked about mahrams last week. So men and women who are not related to each other do not ordinarily mix together alone, such as the way friends do, or casuals sitting together, often closely interacting, unless their mahrams are present with them, such as their husband or brother or father, on condition the hijab is observed, of course, and respectful interactions is observed. That's when you can sit together if the mahrams are there, <clears throat> although it is better to separate if you can, and saying this. So therefore, if you look at a Muslim society, people didn't, men and women didn't sit in groups like that, really. They would go out into the market and you can see men and women walking by, they would go to the masjid, a woman would come out of her home. We're not saying that there's no, there was never ever mixing. There's mixing between Muslims, uh, men and women and non-Muslims, there is. But <clears throat> we're talking about private meetings without mahrams and casually sitting together alone. This was never a thing until this day and age. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned them differently because it is inconceivable that men would mock women or the women would mock men in an assembly. It wasn't a norm. But now we have to say men and women together. That's what it applies to our context today. <clears throat> the next verse Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا أَنفُسَكُمْ وَلَا تَنَابَزُوا بِالْأَلْقَابِ بِئْسَ الْإِسْمُ الْفُسُوقُ بَعْدَ الْإِيمَانِ وَمَنْ لَمْ يَتُبْ فَأُولَئِكَ هُمُ الْفَاسِقُونَ So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, Do not revile and belittle one another nor revile one another by nicknames an evil thing to gain notoriety for ungodliness after belief 
those who do not repent are indeed the wrongdoers. What does this mean? You know, some people, they will insult others to their face. And others, they'll insult others behind their backs. One is in front, direct, one is passive. Have you ever heard of passive-aggressive? When a person makes fun of you in a passive way, you don't know what hit you. They make signals, they make signs, they send messages, secret signs, secret messages, right? They, they make fun of you in a way that it's not direct. So Allah says, وَلَا تَلْمِزُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ Don't belittle each other by these different means. In another verse in the Quran, Allah says, وَيْلٌ لِكُلِّ هُمَزَةٍ لُمَزَةٍ Woe to every humaza lumaza. And this is, Allah separated the two words which mean the same thing, but one, humaza means to, means to insult someone to their face, and lumaza means to insult someone passively, behind their back or subtly. With signals. So, so for example, some people, they, they make expressions, facial expressions, which other people can see and know. You're putting that person down. Or the finger. Or some other gesture, putting others down because of your insults and motives. Or directly insulting to them. Some people, they say, well, I'll insult them to their face. MashaAllah, it's a very smart comment you made. He thinks he's smart. I'll insult them to their face. Okay. I've got two problems with that. The first one is, if you'd insult them to their face, why are you insulting them behind their backs? MashaAllah, how brave you are. And number two, insulting to their face doesn't make you any better. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also forbid that. Would you like people to insult you in your face? Yeah, I'd rather people insult me to my face than behind my back. You're just talking rubbish, really. Nobody likes that. And in a society, it's not good. Would you like your husband, your wife, your children, your parents to insult you to your face? Is that nice? Is that good? Is that brave? Is it? to encourage each other to insult one another so long as it's to your face. This is wrong. We are not a community like that. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, don't even call each other nicknames. Not nicknames like good nicknames. In Islam, it's encouraged to call each other nicknames that your friend or family likes. Rasulullah called uh, lots of sahabas different beautiful nicknames. Abahir, Abu Huraira, he called Aisha, Dalana Aish, Humaira. He called the other Abdullah ibn Quhaf was called Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu and so on. Ali radiallahu anhu was Abu Turab. Beautiful. Abu Dujana. All these beautiful names. But revile each other with nicknames being put downs to call each other names that degrade them, that insult them. And one of the nicknames that is forbidden in Islam and is called a major sin is when a person nicknames themselves as the son or daughter of another man whom they know is not their father. Some people, this usually happens in adoption. In Islam, you cannot say, so-and-so is my real father when you know they are not your father. And when you know someone else is your father. This is a major sin. And I've seen it happen in marriages where some Muslims, they hate their dad, for example, or their dad is absent from their lives, or they've just been told bad things about their dad, and when it comes to the marriage, I ask for the father, say, I don't even want to be called by my father. In the wedding, I want you to call me by someone else, by the stepdad, or by the uncle, or by someone else. This is a major sin, because it's as if you're saying you were born on the streets. You don't know who your identity is. This is your identity. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala finds that, tells us is a major sin. Next, my brothers and sisters, I'll move on quickly. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, 
يا أيها الذين آمنوا اجتنبوا كثيرا من الظن إن بعض الظن إثم O you who believe, avoid much, avoid acting on much, avoid acting on the majority of your suspicions. Indeed, some suspicions are sinful. What does this mean? It means that we naturally always suspect. That's normal. We're always judging people inside. You know when they say, don't judge others, we say, yeah, it means don't act on the judgment without proof and clear evidence. But everybody naturally, biologically, involuntarily judges inside their brain. Allah SWT is not telling you, don't assume. He's telling you, the assumptions that you naturally have, that normally come to you, avoid acting on the majority of them. Because Allah is saying the majority of people, their assumptions about someone else, the majority of their assumptions are often wrong. So don't jump to conclusions, then act on them. Acting on your assumptions. So what do you do? Allah says, first of all, if what you are assuming about the person, is what the scholars tell us in tafsir, what you are, and from the sirah we understand this, if you are, what you are assuming about the person, it has no grounds, has no rationale, or it's not serious. Ignore it. Don't go acting on it. Don't go hating. Don't go judging and accusing and calling names and all that stuff. Don't act on it. And continue to have good assumptions about people who are known to be generally good. I have my brother over here who is often, I see him in the masjid, he's normally good, I, he's normally honest, he trades with people with a nice face, people like him, has a good reputation, there's nothing tremendous about him. And then I see him, for example, go outside of the masjid, and then he takes the shoes of someone else. Goes and takes someone else's shoes. Now the shaitan will come to me and I'll assume, that person, oh my God, I knew these people would come to the masjid. Well, uh, be afraid of them. These guys, they're disguised in sheep's um, wool, sheep's clothing. Look at him. He went and took someone else's shoes. He stole. They do tell me about shoes and messages. Everyone steals their shoes. This is the assumption that will go to my head, right? Not me, but it can happen. Is that rational? To accuse him of stealing? Ah, it could be that he's stealing. But it also could be that he made a mistake. Half, half. In that situation, avoid that suspicion. Now I'm going to give you four instances of suspicions that those we act upon, those we don't. There is suspicion and judgment that is necessary, such as if you're a judge, if you're an authority, um, you're a person who needs to settle and judge between people because you're in, in a position of authority and justice. You must find out and then you can base assumptions and start to verify assumptions and go through them. The next one is when you're dealing with somebody. And by dealing with that person, you're going to be harmed if you don't verify your assumption. So the person, you're going to be harmed. Such as you're dealing with them with money or something like that. And some of their actions have made you, have given you a cause to assume that they probably could lie to you or cheat you. In any interaction, whether it's marriage, whether it's um, business, whether it's trade, job, going on a travel, anything. 
then you can act upon it by what? By verifying and finding out if you can trust that person. Right? The third one is when the assumption is half-half. It can go this way or go that way. Like the example I gave you about the person take, taking the shoes. You can go this way or you can go that way. I'll give you another example which can go this way or that way. Let's say um, your daughter suddenly starts to stay in her room more often than usual. Or your son. Now, you've got an assumption in your head naturally. You're a bit scared for her or him. What are they doing? Is she talking to boys? Is he looking at things he shouldn't look at? Has she got some kind of boyfriend? Has he got a girlfriend? Is he doing drugs? If you've got no rationale, if this, you've got no grounds to think like that, then that assumption, don't act on it. Because it can go the other way too. Maybe it's just they've reached puberty, they've got exams, something's going on in their life, they're a bit sad, maybe they're upset, maybe they just feel like they need their privacy, maybe they're changing and developing, they could be praying, they could be reading Qur'an, maybe they just want to sit down and have their privacy. So it can go either way. Don't act on that assumption. And go in and start accusing. You will lose your relationship with them. And the fourth scenario are people who are sick. Over time, because they were so untrusting of people, they begin to develop an obsessive-compulsive disorder where they assume about everyone and everything. I'll give you an example. They're the types that when they get married, let's say the, the wife suddenly decides to look nicer at home, go to the gym and get a bit more fit, dresses a bit nicer. And the husband is one of those obsessive people and starts thinking, hmm, is she cheating? Why has she suddenly changed? Is she going out with someone? Starts bringing her phone, looking through it, spying, obsessively putting cameras, asking people. And the other way is true, sometimes the wife. Why is my husband smelling nice lately? He went out to Meyer and bought a new cologne. I've never, he's never put this cologne on. What's going on? He's getting a new haircut. He's dyed his hair. What's going on? I've never seen this before. Is he cheating? Has he got another woman? Let me look at his phone. Let me get a friend to go and spy on him. Let me go on his internet. I'll try and steal his account and his passwords and everything. Any of these scenarios. These people, the shaitan comes to you and you're acting upon assumptions that really have no real basis. These are just insecurities. How do you deal with them? Communicate. Talk. Talk and don't be ridiculing. Don't use sarcasm. Just talk. Communicate. There are many other ways instead of acting upon assumptions. Now listen to what Allah says next. He says, Immediately after talking about don't assume wrongfully or don't act upon wrongful assumptions, Allah then says, do not spy. Does anyone know why Allah says do not spy? Immediately after saying do not make false assumptions. Because the cause of spying is false assumptions. Assumptions are the, are the main issue and the problem for people to spy. 
to spy on their kids, to spy on their parents, to spy on their spouses, to spy on their colleagues, to spy on their workers, their employees, to spy on their neighbour, to spy on everything. These people are based on assumptions. I assume they're up to something. They're going to get me. Ah, they're doing crime. I assume they're smoking around the corner. So then the shaitan says, spy on them. What is spying? Allah says, do not spy. Tajassus means to secretly, secretly seek something private about the person through ways without their permission. To privately and secret, to secretly seek to know private information about that person without their permission. You grab their phone, you grab their gadgets, their, their um, what's the word for gadgets? Their, their huh? Their tablet or their, the whole thing, what's it called, big word? <laughs> Devices, it's not even a big word. Devices, and you look through it, or you start setting up cameras, you start, and the other way of spying is called tahassasu. Tahassasu means to pry, to pry, to ask questions, to ask other people, to um, act like you're making a cup of coffee but you've gone in just to eavesdrop, these types of things. So both of them are a type of spying in the Quran which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us not. Sometimes you can do tahassus, you can pry for a good reason. Like the way Yaqub said to his children, go and do tahassus for your brother Yusuf and your, brother and your other brother and, and do not give up on Allah's mercy. <coughs> this is a good thing. So to go and find out and inquire to find a lost person or to inquire for good, that's, good, that's okay. But to uh, pry on people's private lives without their permission for, for bad or to spy on people. Spying usually means to find out something bad about a person, to find out about their flaws. And usually these are insecurities as well and fears. So tajassus is haram in Islam. Except in some ways. The only way it's halal is for national security. National security and authorities need to spy in order to protect you know, their people. Uh, and, and spying is by authorities. Or in the third situation is when there is a real, a real and well-founded reason that someone is going to seriously harm someone else going to seriously cause abuse to someone else. You know someone for example is out to get someone so you send someone to spy to stop the killing for example or to stop you know like sexual abuse or to stop theft and stealing from someone. These are, these are very exceptional cases otherwise in general we don't spy. Don't spy on your wives, don't spy on your husbands, don't spy on your children, don't spy on your parents, don't spy on your teachers or your students, don't spy on your work colleagues, don't spy on your neighbor, especially your neighbor, don't spy on anybody. All of it is haram, my brothers and sisters, based on doubts that a person has. Doubts without rationale, doubts without real grounds is from the shaitan. Don't act upon them. I have seen many, many couples over a text message that they saw, break up a whole family. He's cheating. She's cheating. How do you know? No, they are. That's it. It's all over. I've seen people, their children become homeless and wrecked because of spying on the phone. Brothers and sisters, spying is not the means to a good end. So what do we do? Use other methods if you have reason to suspect something bad.
You can investigate, you can communicate, you can ask, you can talk. I'll give you an example. Say that husbands or that wife, both ways. They've, they, you suspect that they're talking to someone, heck, because they just talk a lot on their phone, so you think I suspect they're cheating on me. All right, can't they get another phone or another number? Can't they hide it? If you found out, can't they delete it or use some other excuses and lie and then meet up with them or talk to them in another way? Of course they can. Spying is not the solution. Don't do something wrong because of a, to find out something that is wrong. It's not going to be a means. Now, I know a lot of people are going to ask a lot of questions about this, probably put a lot of comments. But this, but what if this? One person said, but I should know because that'll save me 10 years of staying with her or with him. You know, I might as well find out now. But you don't have grounds. You're suspecting. So you go and spy. What if you don't find anything enough? What if he lies? You're going to keep going. You know what happens to these types of people? Most often, most often, most often, people who spy end up becoming mentally ill. Something, they just can't get rid of it. Wallahi, brothers and sisters, I have decades, maybe 20 years, of people coming to me with their problems, not just marriages, families, friends, and many of them results of spying and suspecting. So I'm not talking from just my head. I'm talking through experience of years, brothers and sisters, in our community, the reality. Spying has never led to anything good. In only very rare cases, it fluked it. And I don't want to give you stories now because we may have people in the community who are listening online or who may be here who may think that I'm pointing at them, but I'm not. But I can tell you, brothers and sisters, that if somebody is cheating on you, somebody's doing something wrong, Allah be patient. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bring it to you. You will know one way or another. It can't always be hidden. If it's that serious, it cannot always be hidden. And if they repent, and I ask Allah to forgive them, and they change, alhamdulillah, keep, keep going. Sometimes you suspect your children. Don't spy on their phones. Don't spy on their private things, unless they're really small. If a child hasn't reached puberty, a parent has a responsibility to make sure that they're not looking at anything bad, security and all that. You can take the phone and look at it. It's not called spying. But a teenager, a person who's growing up, give them their dignity. Unless there is a reason for you to suspect. There has to be a grounded reason. Something showed up. Someone came to you. But the best way to do it is communicate with them, brothers and sisters, because that's the easy way of losing your relationship with your own children or with your siblings. The Prophet ﷺ in the hadith of Ifq in Surah Bara'atul Min Allah, when, when, when the accusation of Aisha came about and they said that, God forbid, she committed adultery with Safwan and uh, then uh, some companions even started to believe and spread the news and they got fearing but it got so bad Rasul did not spy on Aisha he did not spy once but he communicated with her she asked to leave and sit with at her parents house says I give you permission you can go if you want to and then he went there and uh, said to her, Ya Aisha, if you have done anything, then ask Allah to forgive you. Allah forgives if a person um, admits their fault. And she said, what have I done? I only complained to Allah, as Yaqub complained to Allah. And she went, left him and went and cried until Allah sent down the verse. But the point is, brothers and sisters, spying is not, is the, yani, really, 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 really does it bring out any good. 
And lastly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا يَغْتَبْ بَعْضُكُمْ بَعْضًا أَيُحِبُّ أَحَدُكُمْ أَنْ يَأْكُلَ لَحْمَ أَخِيهِ مَيْتًا فَكَرِهْتُمُوا وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهَ إِنَّ اللَّهَ تَوَّابٌ رَّحِيمٌ And do not backbite and gossip about one another. Would one of you enjoy eating the flesh of their brother and sister while they're dead, they're eating their corpse? Nay, Allah says, fear Allah, for Allah accepts you to return to him and he is the forgiver. Meaning, ask Allah to forgive you from these habits and turn back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and fix your ways. Backbiting brothers and sisters is to say something about your brother or sister behind their back or when they are not present, something that they would dislike you to say. I repeat, gossip and backbiting in Islam means to say something about your brother and sister in their absence which they do not like you to say. If you're not sure if they like it or not, don't say it at all. Saying something good about them is okay, so long as they don't mind, especially if they're a friend of yours and you know them. If they give you permission to say something minor, bad about them, let's say you're really, really close friends and it's for a laugh, you can do it with their permission, but don't make it a habit. Uh, backbiting, even the person who listens on to the backbiting actively is part of the backbiting. So the one who says it and the one who actively listens and doesn't try to stop them or move away. If you can't stop them, move away from there. If you've backbit someone and gossiped about them, go and apologize. If you cannot apologize, go back to the group you gossip and tell them, boys and girls, I take it back. If you wrote it, go and delete it. If you said something bad and their reputation is ruined because of your backbiting, go and try to fix it. Make it up to them. Do something. If there are people you don't remember who you backbit, because we're all falling into, we're probably backbitten a billion times in our lives. Can't remember who people we've eaten in their flesh, mashallah. So how about we make dua for all the Muslims, brothers and sisters. If we can remember them, make a sadaqah on their behalf. Make a dua on their behalf. And change your ways. And if you know who you backbit and you can't do anything about it, go and talk good about them. So there are many ways that you can fix the gossip and the backbiting, my brothers and sisters. But you do know backbiting gossip does cause a lot of problems in our society and community, in families and, and in every way. So these are the six ways that gossiping is not considered backbiting. Here's talking about someone. Number one is when you know that someone is going to be harmed by someone else. And you warn them about it and say, listen, that person does this or that. That's one way, to save your friend or to save someone from harm. Or corruption. Number two, marriage. Someone comes to you to ask you about someone you may know for marriage. What are they like? And you say something bad about them, but you have to say something good about them as well. That's not considered backbiting because you're helping a person to get married and to know the person. Number three, business transaction. You're going to enter, enter into a partnership deal with someone, you know, open a business together, or you're going to deal with money, lending, borrowing, contract agreements, and someone comes to you asking about that person in secret say hey do you know so and so are they trustworthy are they honest did they pay back the money do you know if they've ever done business before did they cheat anyone are they trustworthy and you say well uh, look i know them to be trustworthy but i do know that one time they borrowed money and they just didn't pay it back so just be careful that's a form of backbiting gossip but it's a halal way because you're, it's, it's genuine, it's serious, and it's very private, and you're warning a brother because he's seriously going into a deal with them. And you have to be honest and sure about it. Number four is um, identity. Sometimes you may forget someone's name, and the only way you can say, and it's important to say, so you know that person, that beautiful person, that lovely person, which one? That person with such and such features. And those features may not be very pleasant to say about people, but you are genuinely and seriously trying to identify the person for something, for a good reason. Say, hey, you know, there's this really good brother you can ask about that business. 
um, concept. I just forgot his name. You know the one with the bald head, for example. You know the one with whatever. And then you say to yourself, well, I shouldn't have said that, but that's the only thing I could remember. But if there's some feature that you shouldn't say, but you have to say it for that reason. And number five, complaint to authority. So someone's taken your right and you need your right back. You can talk about how that person has wronged you. I remember one person here wouldn't pay the money back to another person back in the days. And here, he stood up, he stood up here in front of all the people praying. And he said, so-and-so borrowed from me money. I've been waiting for a year. And he said, he's going to give me back to a month and I've got a family to feed. He said it in open. That's allowed. And another person came to me and said, that person owes me money, hasn't been paying it. That's backbiting, but it's halal backbiting because you're getting back your right. Or to authority, or to anybody to give back your right. That's allowed, alhamdulillah. And lastly, <coughs> fatwa. You want to ask a scholar, a sheikh, or a counselor, or some expert about how to deal with certain person. Let's say a person says, um, so-and-so, <coughs> yeah, sheikh, did this to me and did that to me. Is it halal for me to do this? So you've talked about the person in their absence, but it's for fatwa. So long as it's genuine, you don't have personal motives, then it's halal, inshallah. So these are the six ways. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive us, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, assist us and guide us to that which is best. He is the all-wise, the all-knower. Ameen. Wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.